0: Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Jared Walker. I live in the Milwaukee area, but let me tell you how that's an accident. See, I grew up in a little town that maybe you've heard of. Most places I go, if I say my hometown, they have no idea where I'm from. But I'm from La Harpe, Illinois. Yeah, so maybe you've heard of it, all right? Grew up going to LeMoyne Christian camp. My grandparents live at Wesley Village in Macomb. Uh, My aunt that I'm staying with this weekend lives on Little Swan Lake, Avon address. So kind of like I'm back home for the weekend. I went to college in Missouri, met a beautiful redhead there from Wisconsin. One of our first dates, I said I just need to make it clear if this goes anywhere, I am never going to live in Wisconsin. Well, I married that redheaded girl, and the good news is I've only lived in Wisconsin for 20 years. So it is nice that occasionally I get to head down south in the winter to tropical west central Illinois uh, to visit folks like you all. It is great to be here. I get to travel a lot with the ministry that I am a part of. It's called Christian Financial Resources. Our ministry, our passion is to help churches be better stewards of the resources that they have. And sometimes that means that we can refinance a loan that a church has on their facility and lower the cost of that payment, lower the interest rate, so that more dollars can go to ministry and missions instead of just paying interest to a lender. For example, there's a church in Illinois that we helped out just a little over a year ago. I got to be at uh, their—they call it their— their team gathering, it's sort of their members meeting where they invite the members of the church to, to some regular gatherings throughout the year and provide some updates on the church. I got to be there as they shared with the church that because of us refinancing their rather large loan, they are saving over $140,000 a year in interest. That's money they can deploy into their community instead of just paying to their lender in interest. So that's really our passion. There are other ways that we come alongside churches as well, to help them be better stewards of what God has blessed them with. And you may be wondering, how do you fund those loans like that? When you refinance or if you help a church to to build a new building, where do those resources come from? Well, our ministry, CFR, was founded just outside of Orlando. So I often say that we reached out to Disney, we borrowed a little magic, we planted a money tree, and we can fund all the church loans that we want. Obviously, that's not how it works, though. Our model is really very simple. If you look at Acts chapter 4, the early church, we read that no one among them had need. Why? Because they shared the resources that they had. And that's very much our model. Individuals like you and me, Christian families, business owners, churches like First Christian, invest resources at CFR. And while those dollars are at CFR, we can then make loans to churches. I call it a double blessing for our investors. When you invest at CFR, you get, number one, a great rate of return on your investment. There's a brochure in the seat pocket. If you open that up, you'll see the rates that are available. Maybe that's a ready access where you move your emergency fund, emergency savings to us. You'll get about 20 times the national average on that right now at CFR. We work really hard to keep our overhead low. Uh, We don't have shareholders that we have to pay dividends to, so that means even though we can lower loan rates for churches, we can also offer better investment rates. Maybe you have a CD that's maturing, and you heard what the rate is going to be when it matures, and you're thinking, there's no way that's possible, but the bank says, yeah, that's correct. You thought the decimal point was in the wrong place, and they say, no, that's actually what it's going to mature at. Maybe you move that to CFR and get a better rate of return. Maybe it's an old IRA 401k retirement plan that you roll over. You can do that, or we have something that's kind of like a Charitable checking account. It's called a giving fund, a way that you can essentially fund the ministries that you love and support while getting tax advantages. Again, all of those, there's a great rate of return. So, that I call the first blessing being an investor at CFR. But the second is while those dollars are invested at CFR, you know the only thing that they're being used for is helping churches. And I think that's a blessing and that shows good stewardship that we're trying to manage what we have from God in a way that honors him. So if you'd like to find out more about CFR, uh, over here near the coat rack on this side, there's a little table with a packet like this that you can pick up. It has everything you need. If you'd like to invest at CFR, I'd also love to answer any questions that you have while I'm here this morning. Well, that's a little bit about what I do. Let's talk about a topic today that may seem a little bit difficult to reconcile. We're going to talk about loving God and fearing God. And those can almost seem contradictory. In fact, it wasn't until a message that I heard several years ago by Pastor Craig Groeschel, where he unpacked this, in fact, it inspired a lot of what we're going to look at today, that I was really able to kind of blend those concepts together. See, surveys indicate that three out of four Americans say, yes, I believe in God. But if we look at the behavior of three out of four Americans, it probably doesn't seem consistent with that statement of belief in God. The idea of a fear of God, that sounds like a bad thing. And as we most often understand that phrase, fearing God, it probably would be. Side note, we could probably subtitle today's message, Customized Christianity, because that's what we often do as followers of Jesus. When we say we believe in God, we, de- we decide to accept some parts of what we understand that to mean. The parts that we like. But if we encounter a part of trying to, to follow God that we don't like, then we just choose not to include it, right? And so we kind of customize our own version of Christianity that we're comfortable with. I told you that I grew up in Laharp. Uh, one of the nice things, if you have ever driven through Laharp, one of the nice things I can guarantee is you have never driven through Laharp and thought, "Man, those stoplights really slowed me down this time," because there's not a single stoplight in Laharp. I probably should add an asterisk to that. Technically, across from the school. There used to be, I don't know if there still is, a flashing light that they could turn on during uh, the beginning of school and the end of school for the crossing guard. Uh, So there was just a flashing yellow light to warn people that he might stop you. No no stoplights in Lahar. Also, no chain fast food. Never has been. Occasionally, there are restaurants in town that are open. When I was growing up, there was one called Tasty Freeze. Those were individually owned, but kind of a franchise. They were a little more sit-down restaurant than fast food. But one of the things they were known for was their soft serve ice cream. Well, it was called the Tasty Freeze. And at the Tasty Freeze in La Harp, 11 months out of the year, they had two flavors of soft serve. I bet you can guess what they are. Vanilla and chocolate, right? One month of the year, in the middle of the summer they would add a third flavor. You're probably thinking strawberry, but that wasn't it. Lemon. Lemon ice cream. One month a year, at the Tasty Freeze, you had three options for soft serve ice cream. The the other 11 months, we had to drive to Colchester to get lemon soft serve. But in July, in La Harp, you had three options for soft serve. Now, just before I started middle school, my dad joined the army, and we started moving all over the country, and all of a sudden, I learned there were places that had a lot more options than three when it came to ice cream, ice cream uh, flavors. I discovered a place called Baskin Robbins. They don't have three flavors. They have how many? Thirty-one flavors, and you can sample them all before you commit. Pretty amazing. You know, over time, American society has continued to come to value more and more, being able to pick and choose what you want and how you want it and customizing it. I mean, just fast forward a few more years, Starbucks enters the world scene, and no longer are you just asked if you want cream or sugar in your coffee. You can have that coffee brewed as espresso, automatic drip, pour over. Now they've added cold brew. You can even get it nitrogen infused in the cold brew. You can have it with frothed milk, you can have whipped cream on the top, you can have it fat-free or whole milk in it. In fact, in 2014, the Huffington Post determined that you could order 80,000 different variations of beverages at Starbucks. And certainly that number has simply grown since then. Now, if you speak Starbuckian, you're gonna know some of these terms that I'm about to show you. We're gonna show you some images of uh, some Starbucks drinks. I think in reviewing these that I may have two flipped. We'll see how good you are at Starbucks uh, if you notice which two images I think I have flipped. But first of all, number one, this is a tall non-fat latte with caramel drizzle. Alright? That's one way that you can order your coffee. Tall non-fat latte with caramel drizzle. Here's another one. This is a grande iced, sugar-free vanilla latte with soy milk, right? Number three, a triple venti, half-sweet, non-fat caramel macchiato. I actually think that um, the, let's see, that one should be the vanilla latte soy, right? Is this the second or the fourth? That's the second one. Okay, there we go. Um, This one should be the venti Iced, skinny, hazelnut macchiato with sugar-free syrup, an extra shot, light ice, and no whip. Whoo! The Starbucks baristas, when they're taking your order, are tapping things all over the screen to get those customizations, right? One of my most favorite drinks is one of the simplest drinks on the menu. And yet, you don't walk up and say, large coffee. You say, Venti Dark Roast, because that's how you have to order a large coffee. Now, I've actually replaced that as my favorite drink. More recently now, I get a Venti Americano. And what's the difference? Well, how the coffee is brewed, right? Instead of it being drip, automatic drip, like the, told, the Venti Dark Roast that I get, the Venti Americano is made with steam, over the grounds. It's called espresso. And then they add hot water to make it more like coffee strength. Any of you just wish you could go back to, to Aunt Aunt Joe's cafe and just say coffee. Right? Okay, it would be a lot simpler, but all of that is to show how much we like to customize and get it to just the way we want it. So that it's the most pleasant experience it can be for us. And in a similar way, we can do that with our faith. We can start to pick and choose and start to say, I'm going to just go with what I'm comfortable with, and if it's not comfortable, I'm not going to order it. I'm not going to make it part of my drink. I'm not going to make it part of my faith because I just don't like it. I'm going to leave it out. I'll take the love of God, but, but I don't want his wrath. I want the, the mercy of God, but I'm, I'm just going to leave judgment of God out of that. I want his blessings in my life, but that whole take up your cross and follow him part, I think I'm going to leave that out for now. Parts of the Bible that we really like, so we embrace, and we want to hear about it and read about it. Other parts we're not as comfortable with. And since I'm kind of the king and I get to choose, I just won't apply those to my life. I love the part of the Bible that says God has a plan for my life, that he wants to bless me, he wants to prosper me, he's not going to harm me, he gives me hope for my future. But that whole thing about sexual purity, I mean, who really lives by that stuff anymore? I'll just leave that aside. Or I love that God works out all things together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I like that kind of God. But the God who tells me I should manage manage my resources in a way that honors him and be generous toward others, I'd rather keep that stuff out. Of my theology. That's what I mean by a customized Christianity. I mentioned that when we hear fearing God, it sounds like a negative thing. But when we read throughout Scripture, what the Bible has to say about fearing God, it's actually stated as a positive thing, a good thing. And not fearing God, very much a negative thing. Let's look at an example of this in the Psalms. I'm going to read from Psalm 36, the first two verses. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. And how are the wicked described? There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. Those words written by David, a king, a poet, someone who wrote a lot about who God is. In this psalm, he's describing wicked people and he describes them. How? He says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And because of it, they can't see their own wrongdoings, their own sin. Now, I said earlier, three out of four Americans say they believe in God, Would three out of four Americans say they live in a way that indicates they fear God. What if this verse is talking to us who have customized our Christianity in a way that we've kept loving God as a part of what we want to believe, and we've moved everything that is a part of fearing God out of it so that we are, in David's eyes, among the wicked. Because we don't fear God. Now, I'll admit up front, talking about fearing God, it's a tricky thing. Again, as I acknowledged early on, fearing God, loving God, they almost seem contradictory. And the truth is, historically, we have tended to kind of swing between a couple of extremes when it comes to that. Some of us may remember growing up in church in a season when, man, fear of God was almost all that was talked about. You were in church on Sunday morning because you were pretty sure that God would send burning fire down to your bed if you missed the time change and didn't get there. You feared God and you lived in a way that made sure you didn't end up in hell. And even if you thought you were doing all right, you weren't sure that you hadn't messed up somewhere along the line to end up there. There have been seasons when the church has tended to focus very much on the fearing God side. And then there have been seasons where we've come maybe almost too far to the other extreme. Where all we talk about is mercy and love and forgiveness when it comes to God. And there's almost a complete forgetting about that whole other side of God's nature. The truth is we need both an understanding of fearing God and loving God. God. Really, when it comes down to it, what is fear of God? When we read about fearing God in the Bible, what does that phrase mean? Well, if you are a note-taking person, you may want to write down this formula. It's a formula that answers that question about what it means to fear God. Here's how I would describe it. Fearing God equals loving God plus respecting God. Loving God plus respecting God equals fearing God. Again, a difficult tension to manage, but I think maybe the best explanation of it comes from the author C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote several books that are pretty outright and straightforward in the fact that they are theological books, talking about God, like his book Mere Christianity. Uh, He used a little bit of a, a metaphor In the Screwtape Letters, a book uh, where actually a couple of demons are having a conversation with each other about how to help trip people up in their walk of trying to to follow Jesus. But maybe C.S. Lewis's best, best explanation of the fear of God comes from one of his fiction books, the first book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In that book, Aslan is a lion who represents Jesus. And some children who aren't from the region of Narnia, they hear about Aslan for the first time. And so some other inhabitants of Narnia, some talking beavers, as it turns out, Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, they describe Aslan to the children. Children's names are Lucy and Susan. Listen to that conversation that C.S. Lewis describes about Aslan. Is he a man? Asked Lucy. "'Aslan, a man?' Mr. Beaver said sternly. "'Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Oh,' said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I think that's a good description of the that really should be there as we think about how we approach God in our relationship with Him. He is the creator of the universe. He speaks and the impossible becomes reality. That should overwhelm us just a little bit, the idea of coming into His presence. There should be some healthy respect there. At the same time, we have the assurance that He loves us. We have the proof that He loves us in the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. He desires for us to live as his adopted children. Thinking about my own father, I don't think I ever doubted that he loved me, but I also learned at an early age that I better approach him with an element of respect for who he was as my dad, or it wasn't going to be pretty. Can I tell you a story of an example when I was reminded of that? I didn't used to like oatmeal when I was a kid. One morning, my mom had made oatmeal. I didn't want to eat oatmeal, so I told my mom I was not going to eat oatmeal. My dad told me that I was, in fact, going to eat oatmeal. My mom had taken the time to prepare it, and I was going to eat it. And I was so upset about having to eat it that I was sitting at the table crying as I was eating it, and my dad said the the classic dad line, when one of the kids is crying, he said, if you don't stop crying, Exactly. I'll give you something to cry about. Now, I was about 10 years old. I thought I had it all figured out. So I thought, "I I know. I know. I know what I can I'll get you. I'll stump you, dad." I said I said, "You already have." I found out I had not yet received something that would make me cry, but I received something that not only made me cry, I might have yelped and hollered a little bit as part of it as well. Never doubt that dad loved me, but I learned that there was a a little bit of an element of respect that I needed to bring to that relationship because of who he was as my dad. And so with God, we kind of multiply that greatly because God is no mere mortal human as my father is. We love him because of who he is, because he first loved us while we were sinners. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. He loved us. It's not just what he he did, but it's a part of who he is. And because of that, we do love him in return. Our response is to say, with all of our heart, God, we love you. But at the same time, we also say, I recognize as our creator that I respect and honor you. All-powerful. I love you as Heavenly Father, and I respect you as a consuming fire. I love you as a God who is full of grace, but I respect that you are also a righteous judge. I love you and desire to know you better, but I respect that your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. You may ask me, God, to do some things that I'm not comfortable with, but I love you, and because I respect you and I want to fear and honor you, I will respond with obedience in everything that I do. Unfortunately, today, as soon as we hear this phrase, fear God, we start to go, oh, wait a minute. I don't want to serve a God that I'm I'm supposed to be afraid of. Isn't God loving? Yes, he is. But to fear God is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful part of our response to him because we recognize how great he is. In fact, when we read the scriptures, when we read through the Bible, we see that there are actually specific promises tied to fearing God. Multiple times that we are told that with a fear of God comes a promise of a blessing. We're going to look at three of them quickly. Three biblical promises tied to the fear of God. The first one we find in Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. Wisdom. We start with loving and respecting God. That's what the fear of God is. That's where wisdom starts. You want to be wise and make good decisions? Where do we start? With the fear of the Lord. Second promise. This comes from Proverbs as well. This time Proverbs 14, verse 27. There we read, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life turning a person from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is a a fountain of life. Imagine it gushing out, rescuing a person from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is life. It takes you out of what destroys you, brings you into the blessings that God has for you. And thirdly, again from Proverbs, this time Proverbs 22, verse 4. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Riches, honor, and long life. The fear of God is not something that we run from thinking, oh, no, this is bad. No, the fear of God should be something we step into. We should say, God, I love you. You've given me access to you because of what you did through your son Jesus, so I can now boldly enter before your throne and ask you what I need. You created me to be on a journey, an adventure with you, and so God, I love you. I want to know you better. I respect and honor you. I'm in awe of you as the God of the universe. And I can barely believe, and yet I trust in it, That you gave me an opportunity to be in a relationship with you who set the world in motion. The fear of the Lord, it's a good thing. The Bible promises blessings to those who fear the Lord. It's love plus respect that equals the fear of God. And here's the thing. This may be another phrase worth writing down. When I fear God, I will obey him. When I fear God, I will obey him. You see, sometimes it's in our human nature to take advantage of love. And, and if our relationship with God is only love, sometimes we walk away from obedience. So there's an element of respect, fearing Him, that helps us to continue to desire to obey Him. We find a powerful example of this in Genesis chapter 22 in the Bible, first book of the Bible. And I will be honest, as we go into this story, this is one I still, as a dad, struggle to get my head around totally because of this tension of fearing God and and loving God. It's the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. See, Abraham, for years, had longed for a son, a descendant. He'd been promised by God that he would receive a son, and through that son, he would have many descendants. But it was decades before God fulfilled that promise, and Abraham had his son Isaac. And then after only a few years with his son, God asked Abraham to do the unthinkable, asks Abraham to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice to him. Again, really hard for me to get my head around it. But Abraham, because he loves God and respects God, he fears God and obeys God, He takes his son up to a mountain, he lays his son on an altar, goes so far as to raise a knife up in the air above the the boy whom he loves with all of his heart, the object of his prayers, the greatest human desire he has ever had is for this son-to-be. And we pick up the story in verse 12 of Genesis 22 when an angel speaks to Abraham in that moment. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you what fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son. Now I know you love God, you respect God, you fear God. How did the angel know that? Because of Abraham's obedience. Another line you could put in your notes. The greatest evidence of the fear of God is complete obedience to God. That's how we know that we live with a healthy fear of God when we are completely obedient to him. It's not Partial obedience, well, I'll, I'll do part of what you're asking, God. It's not delayed obedience. I'll get around to that someday, God. Instead, it is immediate and cheerful obedience. Yes, God, I trust you. Therefore, I will do what you have called me to do. The greatest evidence of the fear of God is complete obedience to him. This is in contrast to customized Christianity, which says, I'll take this part of God, but not this part This is a fully submitted, wholly surrendered devotion to God. This is saying, God, I want to honor you. It is not about my will. It's about your will. Because I love you, because I respect you, therefore I will fear you with reverence and awe. And because I fear you, Lord, I want to obey you, Lord. Earlier I talked about how we've kind of seen historically the church sometimes swing between kind of a couple of extremes. We could sort of view them as a a pendulum that swings back and forth when it comes to loving God and respecting God. There really are two extremes to avoid when we talk about what it means to fear God. We need to be careful not to let the pendulum move too far to the respect side where we lose all sight of the love and mercy of God because when we do that, over here is what I would call legalism this swing of the pendulum is toward legalism. Legalism says, unless you do this and that and such and such perfectly without fail, God will not love you. Legalism forgets the love and mercy and compassion of God. But at the same time, we have to be very careful that we don't move so far to the loving side where we lose all sight of respecting God. And I've called this side license. Because over here, we abuse the love of God to say, you know what? God's just going to love and forgive no matter what. And so don't worry about how you live your life or the choices that you make. When we do that, we lose sight of respecting God. Instead, here is where we should stand. I should live in the place where because of God's goodness, I want to serve him with my whole heart. Because of the grace of Jesus, my only reasonable response is to love God as my heavenly father and respect him as the God of all creation. Therefore, I fear him, and because I fear him, I want to obey him. What is the fear of God? It's living in the place where we continually, over and over and over again, obey and do the right thing, even when it would be easier to do something else. In a world where customized Christianity is normal... I want us to instead say, God, I'm not picking and choosing when it comes to you. For too long, I've said I want this part of you, but not this part. And today, God, that stops. Today, I surrender. Today, I say to you, God, I want all of you. All of you. I thank you, God, that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I thank you, God, that the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life and takes us away from the snares of this world. I thank you, God, that the fear of you brings blessings that only you can bring. The fear of God is saying to him, because of who you are, I want to love you and I choose to respect you. and That means I fear you. Not because I have to. Because I get to. And I know that you are good. And because of that trust in your goodness, I commit to obedience. You are worthy of all that I have. And so I commit all of it to you. In gratitude for what you gave me in your son, Jesus. In fact, let's take a moment and pray together. Some of those very things. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for a reminder of what it means to fear you. And Father, it seems like it can be such a place of tension when we try to reconcile that we love you and you are a God of love. And and yet we also should fear you and you are a, a God of righteousness. So Father, we pray that we come to the place where we can understand that to fear you means to love you and respect you. And that because of your goodness, we can respond in complete obedience. So Father, help us to avoid a customized Christianity where we pick and choose what we want to believe and how we want to behave. Instead, help us to live lives fully surrendered to you. Father, in our own strength, we are weak in trying to do this. So empower us through your Holy Spirit to live lives of faithfulness. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.